Listen now to The Proof Podcast Season 2, The Murder at the Warehouse. How'd you find out something had happened? My mom called me and said, Lori, the police found a body, and they're pretty sure it's Renee. Right, right away, you thought right Jake. Right away. In my head already, I thought it was Jake. Season 2 of Proof is available now, wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Someone Knows Something from CBC Podcasts. This is Season 6, Episode 3, Frenemy. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do appreciate I'll help it, I do, mm-hmm. but... I'll say and do anything to get what I need for closure. And I wouldn't be a conserved mom if I didn't ask, can I go? (laughs) I mean, you can go, but you wouldn't be allowed in the room. (laughs) Deborah negotiating with Detective John Glapian to see if she can be present during a police interrogation of Kyle Barnes. Police think he may be concealing something, and Deborah and I have wondered if pushing Kyle on the details may cause him to reveal more. There's cameras in the room. There's audio in the room. So, yeah, you can actually see what's going on and hear what's going on in the room. But we're not going to let you guys in there to do that. <laughs> okay, so I guess we'll just drive in your car then. Is it you have a car here? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'll just go with you. And so... Eventually, and unsurprisingly given it's Deborah, police relent and she'll be allowed to witness the interrogation. It's been a long and emotionally difficult trip to Mississippi so far, and as we get into her car to drive to the Pike County Sheriff's Office, I ask Deborah if she ever thinks she should take a break. She tells the story about why she can't. It's not that I've never, but one night I was out drinking and I was really like laughing and having a pretty good time and all that. I felt so guilty. How dare me? And that was like, Eight years ago, and I left and never picked up another beer and never went out to a bar. I go for weeks and not even leave the house. The bare minimum Walmart's about it. People will say, you're so strong. You, I can't believe all this. Every, everything you've done, you're so strong. I thought you going to know. I'm, no, I'm not. No. But if I'm not working on the case, like, I even feel guilty if a day goes by and I'm not, like, messaging you this one that one getting trying to get the you know whatever or searching something I get so upset that I've let, let him down okay that's it I'm get so mad I get mad to even cry about it Deborah arrives at the Beige Police Station and enters an office jammed with investigative files and boxes on every surface. There she slumps down at a metal green desk belonging to one of the county detectives. She covers her face with her hands and remains like that for more than a minute. Deborah's neon pink shirt seeming to glow brighter from her frustration. 
Then the flat screen monitor on the desk in front of her sputters to life and she looks up. On the screen, Kyle in an interrogation room somewhere else in the same building, monitored by a corner mount camera. The room is the size of a jail cell, white painted concrete. Kyle sits at a desk that's pushed against a wall, hunkered over a piece of paper he seems to be reading. Detective John Glapian sits next to Kyle, close. You're not under arrest. Yep. You have the right to remain silent. Truett Simmons is sitting somewhere off camera. Both are in crisp shirt and tie. The volume suddenly turns up. You understand your rights? Okay, so you're willing to talk to us about what's going on right now? Yes. Okay. Kyle doesn't seem any more nervous than he normally appears. Would you consider yourself a competitive person or a laid-back person? More competitive in, in some respects. I like to be the best at whatever I do. Kyle likes to be number one and the best at whatever he does. Okay. If you had a task performed, would you try to perform the task yourself or would you try to persuade someone else to do it for you? I typically would do it myself or I would get people to work with me on it, but I would normally lead the project. Like I would be, here's how I need your help in it. Here's what I need you to do, here's what I need, but I would be doing it. People come to you with their problems. If they got something they don't know how to work out, they always come to you and ask you for help. <laughs> Earlier, Glapian talked about how his interview strategy depended on the personality type of the subject he was interrogating. Glapian thinks Kyle has a steadfast personality. Steadfast personality is like the moms of the group. People come to you to tell you their problems, to help you figure out things. So that's why I believe that his buddy that he's trying to help with this incident, Shane, came to him told him what was going on because he figured that he could help him. He's a standfast personality. That's why when he's telling his story, he's constantly telling it the same way over and over and over. Um, I'm gonna ask you some questions. The best way to communicate with people is- With Shane Gunther refusing to give his side of the story, Kyle's version is what we have to work with. It's important to keep in mind that Shane may not have said or done any of the things Kyle suggests throughout any of his statements. Kyle says he first met Shane at a gay men's rap group. First time I met Shane was when I went to the gay men's rap group and it was in January, January of 94. I think from there, Shane invited me over to his place for, I'm not sure exactly, but we then started working out together. And then my junior year, I decided that, you know, I was going to do an internship in D.C. Washington, D.C. So I went back to D.C. and had a place I was staying and doing an internship. And then Shane was bored. So he decided to come visit me in D.C. So he was living in the living room on the couch for the whole summer. You know, basically we stayed there for the whole summer, going, drinking, doing, you know, I According to Kyle, Shane hung around drinking and working out with him in D.C. that whole summer. From all the stories I've read and heard about Shane thus far, it's clear that he's had access to a substantial supply of money, mostly from a family inheritance, and doesn't seem to need to work. Then I went back to Santa Barbara, and at that point, Shane came back as well and pretended to go to school for a semester because he already had graduated 
or didn't have any classes to take. And then after the first semester, I think that's when Shane went back to DC for a little while. I'm not sure if he got an apartment back there. And then at some point he met Donnie back there at the club. Police interviews in Deborah's files corroborate that Shane met Donnie in a DC area bar, probably in late winter 1995. When did you meet Donnie? I didn't meet Donnie until he came out to California with Shane. How long did you know Donnie before the incident? Maybe a couple of weeks. Donnie I just met. This was in May of 1995 when they drove across country. Um, they were driving back to Mississippi. Kyle says he knew that Shane and Donnie were driving to Mississippi and that he had heard that Shane wanted to get a couple of dogs. And he also says that before Shane left, he bought a plane ticket for Kyle for Kyle's birthday. Kyle was to fly to New Orleans to celebrate later in May. Okay, so this is where it's getting kind of confusing to me. So Donnie and Shane left you in yeah. some place in California, yeah. say, look, we're on our way to Mississippi, but I'm going to buy you a plane ticket because I want you to come to Mississippi as well. So they bought and Kyle says the original ticket that Shane bought for him was not the ticket he flew out on. Kyle says that Shane's call for his help spurred a new ticket being bought, this time by Shane's grandmother, so that Kyle could come out to Mississippi earlier than originally planned. I, all I know is that that was not the ticket that I flew out on. The ticket I flew out on was bought by his grandmother. Deborah hasn't moved or said anything since the interrogation started. She's waiting for any inkling of something new from Kyle. The information about the plane ticket isn't it. Glapian wants Kyle to tell them everything that happened from the time he left Santa Barbara. But Kyle says he doesn't remember the flight very much. I, I don't remember the flight too much. I was looking at New Orleans from where we were driving. I remember looking at the road, looking at the, the thing. Was and this daytime or nighttime? It was getting dark. It was like almost nighttime, but not totally nighttime. Shane, he was talking about how Donnie left him and he was crying and they had a fight about him going out with other guys. At this point, Kyle says Shane told him the story about his breakup with Donnie. Donnie dancing with another guy at a bar, and that he eventually dropped Donnie off in New Orleans. Yeah, my conversation with him was like, you know, hey, guys are guys, guys are going to do that. How did you view their, Donnie and Shane's relationship? They were dating, I guess, that was it. They were together as a couple, but they weren't like married or anything. It's like they just met each other a month or something before that. Did you consider it as an in-love relationship? No. Okay. What I could see, it wasn't serious, especially, um, you know, just met kind of thing, and they were just at a club. They were just dating. So then, that conversation, I did think that it was a little strange how he acted, crying so much. Kyle reassured Shane, telling him he'd find another guy and things would be okay, except they weren't. They drove from daylight into darkness as they arrived at the Macomb farmhouse. It started getting dark. Okay. And we pulled the car up to the house and then we walked towards the back. So I remember the big window in front of the house and we were looking there and going, well, 
Yeah, big window. And then he he started to get a little um, anxious or a little bit like, hey, I have I have to dare to tell you. And I I don't want you to freak out, but I have to tell you something. And he said that Donnie that he hadn't dropped Donnie off in New Orleans. And that he had an argument with Donnie here at the, at the house, and that um, he had shot Donnie in the back. I, at that point, I was I wasn't sure. I, like I was like kind of like stunned. I didn't believe him at first. And then that's when we walked over to the car, and he opened up the trunk, and then I saw the button. So, at that point, he said, I need your help to get rid of the body. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking too much as far as the consequences of it or about the seriousness of it. I said, okay, I'll help you. Because at the time, I remember even thinking initially, well, you know, you're going to be caught, you're not going to get away with this kind of thing. Did you tell him that? No, no, I didn't tell him that, but I thought that. And then, you know, he did say, oh, well, the only person looking for him is going to be his mother. He said, that, you know, he's a loner, he doesn't really call anybody, doesn't know anybody. Okay, Kyle, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to stop. We're going to bag up a little bit okay. because I feel like you're leaving some stuff out. Okay. All right, I do feel like you're leaving some stuff out. Let's go back to when he said, hey, I got something to tell you. I don't want you to freak out. Mm-hmm. When he opened the trunk, I remember him talking about how he wanted to bury the body underneath the carport area. Kyle says it was Shane's initial idea to bury Donnie in the dirt crawl space underneath the guest house with the carport. But Kyle argued against that, saying the small size of the crawl space made it too difficult to dig in. And I said, I'm pretty sure I said I don't think that's an idea. Uh, we talked about the idea of, of burning the body and uh, that, that would be a better way so there'd be less evidence obviously so who came up with these suggestions you did or he did i don't know exactly honestly it might have been me i don't know i'll remind you of what you said in the past i said it was me yeah you did i did you, you i remember I, saying I, I don't okay when the trunk was open Describe to us exactly what you saw, every detail that you can remember. Um, I saw Donnie naked. I saw three bullet holes in his back. Then one, two, three, he curled up. His head was facing towards the right of the trunk, like this in the trunk. So we talked about the fire piece of it and I said that would be the better way of doing it. I remember crying. And, um, we said, yeah. at that point, I asked him, how do you do this? And I was like, that is so stupid. Why would you do this? Why would you, you know, do this? And, uh, he just cried and gave me a hug, really hard hug. You know, like, 
you know, it's hurt. Like it's worse to hide. You know, after that, well, let's just get this over with as fast as we could. And um, at that point, we didn't talk much more. They didn't talk much more. Then Kyle says he and Shane walked through a jungle-like area, rife with spider webs, and saw the fire pit stacked with wood, six feet by six feet, perhaps wider. They made their plan for the burn, and Shane drove the Miata closer. So after we had fire set up, we opened up the trunk again and took, I took Tommy's feet, and he took from the shoulders. He was stiff. It was hard to get him out of the trunk. He was also a big guy, like, you know, I think about 170, six foot tall. So we had to feed out first, I think, and then we had to grab the blood help to get the rest of the body out. Now, are you sure he was deceased at this time? Oh, yeah. And I don't remember seeing any blood. It was, you know, like, every sign that he was dead. There was nothing that he was awake or alive. And so, yeah, we, at that point, we started to fire, and it burned for a while. We put some more wood on it, on top of him, um, keeping it going. Then he told me that he had shot Donnie in the back, in the 22, and that it took Donnie about 30 minutes to die. Donnie was shot in the back and took 30 minutes to die. That has always been the one thing that bothered me. Is hearing that from when you told me that, I just... I, I almost didn't want to be helping him. I, I didn't want to be helping him. I wanted to, like, you know, basically turn him in or call or... I actually wanted to hit him. Yeah, I was really upset. And I walked away. I walked away after that for a while. I, I got sick during part of it. I threw up. I started to get nervous about the fire being so big, thinking that someone's going to call the fire department. Kyle says he started to see parts of Donnie through the flames, even though they had deliberately placed brush on top of him to pretend he wasn't there. When he saw what he calls pieces of Donnie, it disturbed him. Um, but then I started to see pieces, you know, things. So I went away from the fire for, you know, an hour or so. Um, and I went into the forest. Yeah, while you was doing all this, where was Shane? Shane was there by the, the fire store, by his car during that time. Okay, so how long did the fire burn? Did you guys... Did it eventually go out on its own, or did you guys put the fire out? Or? No, it went on for about eight, nine hours. It was about eight o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning when it was out. And it was just ash. I mean, well, there was a few bones left. Kyle says he saw Donnie's skull and some larger bones. And then he watched as Shane smashed them into ashes with a shovel. I see the skull, I saw some larger bones. And then that's when Shane had taken a shovel and uh, smashed the bones to where all that was left that you could see was ash. So it was, there was nothing, no lumps, no 
bones, you can see it was all you ash. You watched him do that? I saw him, yes, smash. Did you? I did not smash anything, um, but I saw him do it. He asked me if I could see any other bones. Or if I can see anything. Okay, Cal, I'm going to ask you a, a mm -hmm. serious question, mm -hmm. and you need to answer my question correctly. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a 22. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see the gun? I never saw the gun. I never saw the gun. So how you know it was a 22? He told me that he shot him with a 22. I never, never saw the gun. Never, ever. I don't know. I've never seen the gun. So why would he come out the blue and say, I shot him with a 22? Why did he just say, I shot him? When he had told me that took him... 30 minutes to die out. I asked him what kind of gun he shot him with. If he shot him with, you know, uh, a larger caliber gun, obviously it would be died earlier. You know? not, not, not necessarily. Well, not necessarily, but I've grown up on a farm. I've shot a 22. You know, it's where you use to shoot squirrels or shoot birds, you know, things like that. Shooting somebody with a 22 is not a big gun. 22 is a very, from my experience, would be something that you wouldn't shoot a person with. You need to shoot with a, you know, like a larger gun, right? That's my experience. Um, you know, um... According to documents I found, Shane Gunther had a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson handgun registered to him at a West Hollywood address in 1993. Um, but I never saw the gun. Gunther's occupation is listed as aerobics instructor. Both Truett and Detective Glapian have told me that Shane Gunther reported to police in New Orleans that a handgun he owned had been either stolen from him or lost by him there shortly after Donnie disappeared. No original paperwork exists on this alleged police report that Gunther made to my knowledge, with Hurricane Katrina being blamed by police for destroying the records. Glapian turns the conversation with Kyle back to New Orleans and the story about he and Shane looking for Donnie in the clubs. So you guys went to these clubs to make up an alibi? Yeah, make up an alibi that, that, hey, we were actually looking for him still. And we asked people if they'd seen him, had a picture of him or whatever. But we actually didn't. We weren't asking anybody. Uh, we then went to the casino, and then, you know, he dropped me off at the airport. I went back up to when y'all left here. Mm -hmm. This would have been after Shane broke up bones. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Did yes. I hear you right? Yes. And y'all left. Nothing else was done then? Nothing. We, we, we got in the car and drove straight. We didn't stop anywhere. We went straight back to the bones. In other words, after breaking up the bones, every, are you telling us that everything was left just like that? Uh -huh. And y'all left and went to New Orleans? Yeah. And nobody yeah. changed clothes? Because what, what kind of concerns me is that, you know, Shane is taking a shovel, hitting this, these ashes. Soot should have been piling up on him. I mean, no, I mean, I, this is the part where I don't remember changing clothes at all. Like, I mean, I don't remember changing clothes. I, don't, I know I didn't take a shower because um, we, we never went inside the house. So I don't even know if I brought clothes with me. I don't know what, I don't know what luggage I had. I don't know if I had. Glapian starts to dig in a bit more on Kyle. You know, some of the things that's confusing me, uh, Cal, is that you remember some things, dates, times, and everything's in detail, but other things you don't have memory of. I mean, that's just confusing to me. Well, no, and that, Either you is, do or you don't. This is the part where I literally, I suppressed so much of it. Like, for the longest time, I thought it was a nightmare. So I, I this whole trip, this, the whole thing happening, 
I, when I went back to LA, I kind of thought it was a nightmare, and I put it behind me, like if it was like something never happened for the longest time. I didn't think about it. It was to me, it, it was not real, and I kind of suppressed it and, and put it down. I, I don't know. Did you kill Donald? Is it you? No, I did not. I swear I did not. I've never, I, I, first of all, I was not here when he was shot, so that, that makes it impossible to kill him. Okay. Uh, but I. You did, answered my second question. Were you present? Did you see Donald Izzett Jr. being killed? No, I did not. Did you see Donald Izzett Jr. after he was dead? Yes, I did. Who killed Donald Izzett Jr.? Shane told me that he shot him. Shane told you that he shot him. He shot him. I'm gonna stop right here, Cal. They told me not to do this, but I'm gonna say this, Cal. Mm -hmm. I believe you was there when this happened. I, 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 I killed somebody and you was there. I tell you right now, I was not there on my mother's life. I tell you, I was not there. I'm David Kushner. I've been a journalist for decades. But the story I've chased the longest is about my brother, John. When he was 11 years old and I was four, John biked away from our house through the woods to a store nearby. He was going to buy me my favorite candy, but he never came back. So now I'm telling the story of what happened to John and what happened to our family and our town after he disappeared. This is Alligator Candy from UCP Audio and Transmitter Media. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. So just tell me, Kay, what exactly Kyle told you about his own involvement in this case. Um. I'm in the living room of the home that Kyle Barnes grew up in, part of a low-slung ranch house in what has become the suburbs of greater Sacramento, California. On a table, a plaque that says, there's these boys that stole my heart. They call me mom. Kay Barnes, Kyle's mom, and his brother, Kevin, are sitting next to me on a couch in front of a picture window that looks out onto a large circular driveway. I'm interested in what Kyle may have told the people closest to him. As far as I remember, he was more like Shane had killed this kid and that his mother was attempting to locate the body or, or pieces of the ash from the property. I mean, it was a very short conversation. Oh. Did you ever meet Donnie, is it, either? No. Okay. Never. Kay looks in her 70s and is wearing a fuchsia blouse and capri pants, and Kevin balding in his 40s with a dark golf shirt and jeans. Neither of them have ever been interviewed about Kyle or Donnie's case before, or looked into it, they say. So what they tell me is as unfiltered a version as it can be of what Kyle told them. As far as Kyle, I mean, growing up, he was the, uh, you know, the, the person you would think would actually be running for a political office or, you know, leading some corporation. But then kind of shifted from being here in Northern California to going to school at Santa Barbara 
getting into the LA area and in doing so kind of decided like, you know, I'm going to chase after that quick buck kind of thing, left that stable job at Bank of America, started trying to do the whole dot com. And I think at that point, that's kind of like where, you know, he just kind of shifted and became a completely different person. But he works hard. I mean, we, you know, growing up, like, you know, being here on the farm, doing like everything that we did. Okay, like he was very articulate, very well-spoken. He was the president of the local 4-H club. So he was like a talking to the whole audience. And he of, was yeah. active in the student body through high school, became the president. Student body president. Student body yeah. president. When he was a senior, he was rallying. Kyle's fast-talking, nebulous style of speaking apparently didn't come until later. Possibly, as Kevin suggests, because of increased drug use after moving to Los Angeles. You know, I mean, that's that's what I've, like, always been afraid of as far as, like, with Kyle, like, down in, in L.A., where they were living, like, that. I got to think that that's part of where the changes are that I've seen in him, is that there's things that he's used or done or whatever, and that's, yeah, I don't know. Okay. The changes are, are his his excitability, you know? I mean, he just, he goes from so calm to just kind of so loud in your face, not because he's angry, but he just wants to get his point across, you know? And growing up, he would have escalated things in a very structured manner and and not raised his voice to be the loudest, but gotten his point through by strategically hitting points. So you don't think that the changes extend to believability, though? You don't think his honesty was affected? No, it's just the changes are... This is... That's that's uh, when they're little. That's like when we were really little. This is like him growing up. Actually, this would have been probably almost, what, 15 years ago? Would be a photo. Kevin points to a photo showing him and his mother standing with Kyle and laughing for the camera. In fact, the hallway I'm in is covered in photos of Kyle, from baby days through high school and beyond. Kyle goes from clean-cut and collegial-looking to more wizened and balding by the end. There's a lot of other pictures. I've got that whole thing in my bedroom. Oh, yeah. Of all of him. So tell me, if you can remember, Kevin, the timing of what Kyle said and what did he tell you about this case? Yeah, um, it had to have been probably maybe a couple years ago. Maybe a little bit longer because he reached out to me for money because over the last few years He would usually like call me text me, you know something. Hey, I need money for gas, right? You know something mm. and I think he was in New Orleans um, he like was in New Orleans. Louisiana somewhere along like the Gulf like down there and he was meeting with um, I want to say it was like the local police or the FBI or like one of the agencies. The story was that he was down there to help them out. They were supposed to have like paid for him to be able to travel there and back or something. But then he he was down there and it was like taking longer or something. And so he needed money for food or some other expenses. I'm like, well, what are you doing there and like what's happening then that's like when he shared the story and so he admitted that he was down there because Shane had done something to Donnie I don't know if he shot him or whatever but what Kyle explained to me was that Kyle helped 
Shane take the body to some forests, like some grass area, swamp area, marsh area, something along those lines. And that's like what he was helping the police was that he was trying to basically give them like what the location was and that they were trying to go out and do forensic something to to uncover like whatever. So Kyle has revealed to you that he helped dispose of Donnie. Uh, just the, something about being burned. Yeah, and that's what he was telling me and okay. whoever he was sharing that yeah. with. They were trying to go out to some site or something to identify it. But I don't know if it was the body itself or the area that it was like in or, you know, if anything was used, uh, like I have no idea. Now, Kay, is that the first time you've heard that part of the story? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did you guys not talk about this before? No, we haven't, no, talked, we haven't talked about it at yeah. all. And did, did your brother ever say to you or to you, Kay, that he, that Kyle had been the person that killed Donnie? Did he ever say that to you? No, never. No. I mean, I can tell you I'm not happy with what happened because if the roles were reversed and, you know, and I was the one there, the first thing would have been calling the police. I'm not helping anyone out to do anything. I'm basically calling the police. So I can't answer for what yeah. Kyle did. Because I don't know what their relationship was. Do you believe Kyle? Would you believe that he's telling the truth here in this situation? Yes. There'd be no reason for me to disbelieve it because he's really been fairly honest. I mean, he's always pretty honest with me if I ask him a direct question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's no reason to believe that he wouldn't be honest. How about you, Kevin? Would you? Uh, 100%. Whether Kay and Kevin believe Kyle or not is, of course, not really evidence of anything. Growing up with him, talking to him now, there's like never been a time like where, you know, I think that he's not telling us no. what's what's what. And he doesn't have a history of lying. He doesn't have a history of holding things back or being secretive or any of that kind of stuff. So. When Kyle was in his early teens, he lost his father. And without him here to talk to, I've asked Kyle who else he might have told about what he says he did with Shane down in Mississippi. Partially to find corroboration, particularly if he told someone close to 1995, but also to see if the story changed across tellings. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. How are you? Good, good. We can move there. Oh, okay, great. Kyle tells me that he told his partner Melton a version of the story. Kyle has been living with Mel in Los Angeles for about 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyle told me about it. What has Kyle told you about the case? I didn't know about all of this, you know. And um, he said to me, like, I have to tell you something about a missing person. Hmm. And that's Donnie. And he told me about that Shane used to be a roommate, I believe, with Kyle in West Hollywood. And then Shane invited Kyle to go to uh, Mississippi, New Orleans. So Kyle went there, and now Donnie is dead. And now Shane, like, he asked Kyle to help him how to dispose the body and all this stuff. Mel's wearing a black tank top with the words defend and coexist across the front. He came to the U.S. from the Philippines less than 20 years ago as a bank manager. He was also a member of an organization known as Singles for Christ, where he says he gave talks to troubled youth. He's soft-spoken and soft-edged. Yeah. So, so when did Kyle tell you about this first? When was the first time you heard? The first time about, like, I think, I'm, I don't remember exactly, but I know that during the time I, he said to me about Deborah, the mother of mm -hmm. 
Donny, you know, because Debra's been looking for an answer of the missing, of his missing, of course, understandable. So he told me about that, and I was like, "Who well, are you? Like, like I don't know you then. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's a surprise. Like, all of a sudden, like, hey, what else are you hiding? You know, it's mm -hmm. like... Mm -hmm. so, Were you angry then? Were you mad? Or I'm not, no, I'm not really that mad or angry with him. It's kind of like, um, you know, I don't know even the answers. Like, is it true or no? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you talking about? Because to be honest, they said, like, you're a part of this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of like you obstruct justice, first of all. Like, you know, you didn't even say anything from the very beginning. Like, I don't know why in this, you know. And you didn't even tell me after so many years. Like, who are you? You know, and I cannot speak in his behalf as far as, like, why did he do this? Why did he participate? Why did he not say anything? Like, Carl, why did you not say that a long time ago? You know, why did you not open up? Why do you have to wait for Deborah to come? You know, it's it's so many things. These are the questions anybody would ask. Yeah, it's kind of like, why? And uh, because I said, Carl, no matter what, I don't hate you. You're still a human being and made mistakes, but please, sometimes we're making wrong decisions in life. But those decisions we have to consider always, what's the impact on ourselves? Truth will come out no matter what. It's just a matter of time. I said, you know, I forgive you. Whatever the things I do, I still sure. forgive you. Because you're still a human being. We all make mistakes, you know. But I said, like, Kyle, that is very wrong, though. Do you think that Kyle has told you all the details? The details of... of what happened, what he, what he remembers of what oh, happened? Well, he told me, what he told me was that Shane shot Donnie, I think three times, he said, I think. And then he helped Shane burn the body and then like you know, put in a thing in Mississippi. And Mel meaning here, Kyle told him that Shane put Donnie's ashes into the coffee can. I don't remember exactly, but that's all he said to me. So I didn't even ask for details on everything because I don't even know Shane. I said, who is Shane? You had never met Shane no, or no, Donnie? never. And tell me about Kyle. You've known him for 15 yeah. years. Do you believe him? Yeah, of course. I believe him. Yeah, I believe him. You know, he's always been very honest to me. Like, I know what kind of person he is, you know. I feel it. So I went to the point when I told him, hey, did you get a lawyer for that? Because this is not a joke, you know. I said, first of all, Kyle, you should not say anything because you have to protect yourself as well, to defend yourself. The law is a law, you know. Like, nobody excuses mm -hmm. if a crime was committed. That's why I've been asking, hey, convince me that did you what did you do what is your participation has he ever changed any aspect of his story when you no. he's always yeah. kept the story this yeah pretty same, much the yeah, same yes pretty you? much the same okay. like you know and uh because i always keep asking him questions what else Kyle? do you want to tell me you know it's, it's like you have to prepare yourself like, when the time comes you will be called and it's just a matter of like how credible are you when you like are you speaking the truth or not you can tell only the sincerity and the truth from a person if they are consistent and what they're doing and what yeah. they're saying. Yeah. And, and, and other people believe I was there. I was not. I flew in after he was dead. I wish I was there because that just wouldn't have happened. The reason I believe you was there mm -hmm. when this happened, because you saying it was a crime of passion. You saying that because he wanted to leave. You saying he was shot over by the tennis courts? That he took thirty minutes for him to die? Well, yeah, those are all the those are all the things that Shane had told me. Okay, well, I mean, the way you tell it is like if he was there. And, 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 you know, At this point, Glapian leaves, and Detective Chris Bell squeezes into the small room. 
Bell is the lead detective on this investigation from Pike County, and he is interested in a looser, more fast-paced, bad cop strategy with Kyle. Was you scared of Shane? I, honestly, I, I, I don't think so. I wasn't scared of Shane. Was you trying to date Shane? No, not at all, not at all. Did you and Shane ever have a dating relationship? We never had a dating relationship. We never had, you know, sex. Uh, we never, you know, one time we kissed or something like that at night. Um, and that was actually after this whole thing happened in West Hollywood when that happened. You know, it was like, uh, I don't think it even happened before this event. And, um, you know, yeah, obviously, I made the bad decision back then. I was 21. I was, you know, my best friend. Uh, I wasn't thinking, and I <laughs> didn't think at all. Like, really, I, I No, you, if, if what you're saying is, is, is accurate, you wouldn't think it at all. I wasn't thinking because at all. Because I can remember when I was 21, you know, yeah, we've done some crazy things, but I don't think nobody would have done nothing this crazy would have go cover up a murder. There's got to be some kind of benefit or motive behind it for you, for you to not to tell anybody. No, well, obviously my benefit is that he was my best friend and I didn't want him, you know, something happened. That's not him. a benefit. Did you know that Shane was wealthy back then? Um, I didn't know he was that wealthy. I mean, he didn't have to worry about money. Was money the motivation behind this? No. Were you not telling anybody? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get any money for him and it wasn't, that wasn't the reason well, for it. Later on, he gave you $50,000 so to start to help you start your business up. Well, no, but that wasn't the reason why he was giving it to me. Um, yeah, Kyle had asked for investment from Shane and others for a company he started in the late 1990s, and Kyle says Shane gave him at least $50,000. The company was to produce a new computer keyboard that Kyle says he invented, but the company wasn't successful. Did he give you any money coming out on the plane helping him out? No. Did you feel like he owed it to something for coming to help him out? No, I don't think so. I think he was thinking that it was going to be a good investment. That's what you're saying, but... I don't know. No, I know. I know you I'm know that. I'm trying to figure it out. I know you don't know that, but the thing is that. You know, what you it's impossible to know Shane's motivation beyond that an investment was made. Kyle seems to be struggling. I was not here when he was shot. The whole thing is what I'm trying to figure out. I was not here when he was shot. I was not here. How do I know you weren't here? Um, because you say so? Well, obviously, because I say. Because the body was already in the trunk. But he was in truck when I got here. He was dead. You know, I, I never saw him alive. I flew in here. She picked me up. He was already dead. I helped dispose of the body. I was here after the fact. I've never changed anything. I've always told them the truth. And I'm, I've been as honest as I could. No one people don't come down here and help their friend dispose of a body. Well, who does that? Well, but I don't have up. a best friend that I'm going to fucking go dispose of a body with. I just helped him burn the body. I, I, yeah. you know, I'm not part of it. But you, you can minimize that involvement I, if you let somebody know what's going on. You and Shane are best friends, mm -hmm. right? You don't keep in contact with the same friend. You don't know what's going on with him afterwards, I, after y'all get back to California. I didn't really keep in contact with him. We drifted apart, but not like, oh, I'm never going to talk to you again. We just drifted apart. I went on my life. He went on with his life. Um, in, I want to say 98, at that point, he mentioned to me that the police had talked to him. They interviewed him and his mother. Shane told Kyle he gave police the same alibi they agreed on, that they went looking for Donnie in New Orleans. What they really did is go to a casino and drank a New Orleans specialty hurricane cocktail as they walked around. Good morning, drive back to New Orleans. Again, I don't remember 
much. I remember going to a casino. This was after. We went to Club Goddard's, went to, got a hurricane thing on the road. So you started drinking, having a good time after you disposed of the body. Um, you were drinking, then you went to the casino. I tried to give you guys everything possible, little tiny details of anything I could possibly think of or that I could remember, because I do want Shane to go to jail, because he put me in this position. He fucking put me where I'm now having to fucking maybe go to jail, or that I'm having to fucking go and You put me. yourself in that situation. Well, no, but he did, because he called me, and he fucking put me in. He's the one that shot the person. He should never have shot Donnie. Who have him covered up? Well, I might have, but he shouldn't have ever fucking shot him. You put yourself <laughs> there. Shane didn't put you there. Well, no, but you didn't have to help him. Yeah, and I was. I, but you put yourself in a situation when you went out and helped to cover fucking body up. Well, I I understand that, but if he had shot him, then we wouldn't be here today. Period. Okay, I who, know. Who but, done that? Nobody but you. Well, I know, but that was my that was where I made my wrong decision. Okay, so don't blame Shane for your mistakes. I See, you, you're minimizing yourself. I made a bad decision. Everything you do is minimized. I should not have been put in that situation. No, you should have put yourself in that situation. You don't do it. Now, every human not going to do shit like that. Unless there's something else you're not telling me. The interrogation continues. Kyle sticks to his story with little deviation. It could be what you're not telling me. It's not, there's nothing I'm not telling you. At the end of it, Deborah walks out of the office in a daze, her eyes red and moist. It's clear she's taken on the relative lack of new information from Kyle as yet another variation on her theme of personal failure. She approaches Truett, who she spies coming down the hall. Deborah always has another plan, another chess piece to put into play, anything to keep her self-imposed guilt at bay and the feeling of momentum going. She wants Truett to consider another police-sponsored dig at the Noble's farm, this time a more thorough one. I have a copy of the aerial picture and take Kyle out to Dr. Noble's before I head to the airport. May I ask why? I just want to try one more time. Deborah, I, I'm not trying, to, I, I don't, I know where you're coming from, okay? It's no good going to come of it, dear. I firmly believe that. I asked Dr. Nevels if it was okay, and he said that it was. I mean, I won't stay long or anything. Where we've been and where we're going, I don't have a problem with it, except I'm, I'm more concerned about you than the benefit that's going to come. This is killing you. But maybe it's not for me to... I feel Donnie again. I just have to at least go back out and say goodbye or something. <laughs> We've come this far. I just want to say goodbye again. Okay. It's so hard to leave every time I'm here. I know. <laughs> With Kyle having given his statements, Detective John Glapian lays out his current thoughts on the case. Well, my only concern about this one is that it's been going on, it's been so long that if we do find some evidence, I mean, that's the only way we're going to be able to convict somebody in this particular case. We're going to have to find some kind of physical evidence, such as bone fragments, DNA evidence, um, shell casings, even bullet fragments, and the gun. 
Glapian says Mississippi police and the FBI have also tried to talk to Shane. We, we have talked to a person of interest. He's denying everything. We've been trying to get him on multiple occasions to come down and do a formal interview. He refuses, he's always referring to his lawyer. We even called in the FBI to try to get their assistance to come. Uh, I guess he refused the FBI as well. Once we get evidence, I think we could get a conviction. I mean, Cal can actually be charged with accessory after the fact. It depends on the DA, and since he's been so helpful, I mean, they'll probably be lenient on him, but he could face charges as well, you know? But I'm not the DA. The only thing we do is collect the evidence, present the case, and then it's in the lawyer's hands from there, so. <laughs> DAs, or district attorneys in the USA, are elected officials who have a fair bit of latitude in determining if they want to press forward prosecuting a case. The current DA in Pike County is named D. Bates. So, Mr. District Attorney, just tell me what you can about Donnie's case. I can't speak specifically about any evidence one way or another. Obviously, it's a case that's under investigation or continue to be under investigation until some type of conclusion. The main thing the state of Mississippi, my office, and everyone involved want a conclusion to find Donnie. I mean, obviously, you want to find answers for his mother. And obviously, from there, we would like to hold whoever, if there was anything done, that individual or individuals be held accountable. I mean, that's I'm getting the sense that D. Bates falls on the cautious side of things. It's the end of another grueling day, and Kyle's heading back to New Orleans. I catch him by phone. So, so how'd it go? Um, it was okay. I mean, the uh, last interviewer, Chris Bell, not the nicest guy, but it was okay. I mean, I still feel like I go through the same things, the same questions, and answer the same way, but I guess sometimes I don't. Uh, you never know. I feel like I'm answering it the same way, but they think I'm changing my story. I don't know. Sometimes I remember things a little bit differently than the way that yeah, I do it some other time, so I guess it's hard to, especially when being asked about the same things like so many times. So do you believe that everything you're saying is true? Oh yeah, of course. I Everything I've said is true. I mean, I might be off on, obviously, where locations, or I might be off on, you know, timing, the days, you know, but as far as the event that happened and, and me coming here for why I came here, and, you know, everything, that's all true. You know, Shane did didn't shoot Donnie and you know all that stuff it was all true it's just a matter of the details of things might be a little different sometimes you know it's possible Kyle is lying but my feeling is that his story has stayed relatively the same across many tellings with any changes or revisions apparently due to mismemory or passage of time and without Shane's input on any of it we may never have any other perspective on the eyewitness story Shane could be completely innocent of any wrongdoing, and he may have done nothing, Kyle's suggesting. The FBI did try to talk to Shane with Kyle's involvement. They set Kyle up to make the call and try to casually bring up the various plot points of the Mississippi story. Well, I, I tried to talk to him um, with the FBI on the phone um, back in October, and he thought I was crazy or didn't want to talk about anything that had to do with the... You know, anything. Um, so I don't think he'd want to see me now, because I think he'd think I would be wired or, you know, 
but Shane apparently said nothing of value in the conversation. If a grand jury is called, you'll be giving your evidence. And as an accomplice, do you have any concept of what might happen to you? Or have you made any kind of arrangements? Or what, what's going on with that? I haven't yet. I'm, I'm obviously I haven't got an attorney yet. You know, people tell me I should get an attorney or that I needed to you know, be careful about what I say. I, I kind of hoping, trusting that the fact that I'm helping out with everything is help, well, alleviate a lot of what I might, you know, attorney would, would definitely tell me not to come here, which is not what really what I want to have right now. I think the most important thing is to try to get Jane in, see if we can get the evidence out, so that way we can try to get Jane in jail. That, that, that's my priority, basically. Can you please just take that? What is it? Deborah's thrown a small silver medallion for a necklace onto the hood of her car. Kyle's flown back to California, and Deborah and I are regrouping on next steps before we separate for a while. It's because you travel so much, and it's a coin to protect you while you're driving. And I wanted you and people that's involved in the case helping me to have it. The St. Christopher Medallion. Protect us wherever we may roam and guide us always safely home, patron saint of travelers. Thank you. So it's a little medallion with St. Christopher on the front. I don't know, is that the baby Jesus on his shoulders or something? They both have halos. That's great. I need as many halos as I can get. I don't believe in halos or saints, but Deborah does. So I take the medal and put it in my jacket pocket. What's here next step? Start working on planning the excavation and people still say that no matter how long it's been and how many fires took place over top of that same fire pit, that there still has to be something. And Deborah set some wheels in motion to find an experienced forensic team to dig up Dr. Noble's yard around the area where Kyle has indicated and where police made their shallow test trench. It's just a matter of funding it, but it's going to happen, and I'll be helping with some things, but I'm planning it for the spring. Because I don't want to get involved with cold weather, but it's going to be a large one. It's not going to be a probe. So. Deborah's gritty determination is hard not to be inspired by, but there's a guilt there that helps to drive it, and I hope that that part of seeking the answer she needs can soon come to an end. Kyle's position stays relatively the same, and police seem to be inching toward believing him. The new dig Deborah is proposing for Dr. Noble's property will be based in part on Kyle's statements, and will be far more expansive than the straight police trench with the plastic flags. If it's there, finding the fire pit will have a better chance among slim chances. And there's still people to talk to. People close to Shane very close. You've been listening to episode three Frenemy. 
Visit cbc.ca slash sks to learn more about the Donnie Izzett case. You can also join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter at SKSCBC to discuss episodes with others and discover exclusive content. Someone Knows Something is hosted, written, and produced by me, David Ridgen. The series is produced by Eunice Kim, Chris Oak, and Cecil Fernandez, with help from Mikhail Arana and Emily Cannell. Tanya Springer is our senior producer, and the executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Nurani. Our theme song is I Once Was a Bird by Justin Bird. Down the dirt road Into the For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.